So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members are in all our members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks or slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body of Christ does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so comprised the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are one body of Christ and individually members of it. Good morning, everyone. It is a huge privilege to be here this morning and to look out and see all these people that, that I love and that, that I know love me and my family and to be able to come before you and present God's word this morning. Uh, before we dig into the word, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, Thank you again for your word. Thank you that you've laid out a course for our lives through your word generally and and a course for each of our lives specifically. Thank you for the way you have designed the church. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that I would make it clear uh, 
and that you would just make it clear and, and impactful in people's hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the main point that I'm going to kind of argue this morning is that the body of Christ is intricately designed by God using only essential parts and grows to maturity only as much as each member is engaged and serving with their gifts. So designed by God, only essential parts, and only grows to maturity as each member serves and uses their gifts. So starting with verse 12, um, we're jumping in just a little bit late in Paul's uh, discussion here. We're jumping into the, uh, to the, the illustration. And so I wanted to rewind just a, a, a really briefly to hit where Paul introduces this, this subject. So the beginning of chapter 12, and I'll just read a couple verses here uh, to grab the context. So, of course, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. There's, it's a young church, uh, you know, early on, of course, in the life of the church. And, I mean, from Paul's letter, it, it looks like a complete mess in a lot of ways. There's, lot, there's good things happening, lots of good things. But there's lots of just things that, that people just are not getting right. Um, and so... Right now, Paul is talking about the proper understanding of gifts in the church. And the transition of this idea starts in verse 1. So, chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Again, it wasn't even necessarily malicious. And maybe they had written asking questions. How do we, how do we rank order the spiritual gifts? What's really most important, Paul? How do we tell who's really supposed to be getting all the attention. So, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then we'll, we'll jump down to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. And to verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So this, these verses in here introduce three really important parts that, that will really be built off of in the, the later verses. So one, there's incredible variety in the body of Christ. There's a variety of gifts, so... However you want to identify the gifts, however you understand that the gifts that are present now in today's church, there are many, many gifts. But they're given by the same Holy Spirit. There are varieties of service. There's, there's lots of ways to minister. There's lots of ways to serve the Master, Jesus Christ. But we're all working the same direction towards serving the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities or operations uh, but it is the same God who empowers them all. So in the end, you have this beautiful picture of it really just flowing completely from the Trinity and back to the Trinity. But again, for the varieties, varieties, varieties. And so this, this picture of, you know, even just looking here and we're a fairly homogenous group. We're, 
where we, a lot of us have pretty similar backgrounds. A lot of us have a lot of German ancestry. A lot of us have, uh, you know, similar upbringings in the church. Um, but even in this group, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of variety even in this group, whether you talk about backgrounds, schooling, um, uh, church backgrounds, single parent families, or, or um, uh, whatever it might be. There's all these different varieties. And it's the same even when you talk about the gifts and the functions and, and how we engage. But if it's from the same Lord and it's to the same Lord, and it's empowered by the same Lord, the attention on the varieties or on one gift in particular doesn't really make sense. Because it's all supposed to be being redirected to the same Lord. So number one in this, this section, so there are, there's great variety. Number two, each person is given a gift by the Holy Spirit. So we see uh, verse 7. Two each is given. And then it says, not even, here it doesn't even just say a gift, but it says the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the manifestation basically means the exhibition or the showing up. And it's, I think, helpful to keep that language in mind because that's what the text uses. And because it's easy to think that in our service, I'm just going to take care of this thing. I'm just going to do this thing. I gotta, we have this task list. But this says that the Holy Spirit shows up for the good of the people. And so it's not just that we're, we're knocking out our tasks. It's that as we're serving the church, the Holy Spirit is here working in us and through us for the common good. So each, but each person is, is very important. So every, every person who is in Christ. And then number three, the gifts are for the good of the church as the whole. As a whole. They are really others focused. So with that in mind, uh, then we'll move on to the text that we'll really focus on. Um, and as, as you look back at those, the, the verses there, it's, it's easy, to, it start, easy to start to see that, yeah, there was, there was this focus, and we see it throughout 1 Corinthians, there's this focus on this special group of people that has this special gift, or, or this gift. It's the tongues that blow people away, and they think it's just so awesome. Um, but we see that in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, each person has a gift and it is given by the Spirit as he, as he wills, as he pleases. All right, let's get into uh, verse 12 now. So verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ.
So what I want to draw out here, point one, is that we need to understand the way God designed the church. It isn't focused on one gift or one person or one personality. Rather, it's designed, God designed the church with many individual unique parts. The way, so here Paul introduces the idea of the body. And I believe up until this point, that, that concept, that, that comparison had never been made, at least in the letters that we have. And so it's easy for us to say, yeah, the body is, you know, the body of Christ. We know that. But up until this point, Paul hadn't used that phrase. And so this is the first time he's really making that illustration. He's, and so if we just jump to, yeah, we know the church is the body of Christ. I know I have just completely missed really the depth and the beauty of that illustration um, because it's something I just grew up hearing. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So he really is hammering it in. Like he says the same exact thing twice and then he continues to say it throughout the text. And so I've just been thinking this last week, like why does he keep saying this? Many members, one body, many members, one body, many members, one body. So let's just think about the body for a minute. First of all, we we know that God created the body in just incredible ways, right? And, And the more we understand, the more we see it, the more we just look in awe and just say, wow, that's just, that's incredible. Um... If you want to think about the different parts of the body, if you want to break it down by organs, there's 78 organs. Don't ask me to name more than like seven. Uh, There's 360 joints, 900 ligaments, roughly 4,000 tendons, and one human being is made up of roughly 30 trillion cells. And that's, I mean, it's, it's, it is beyond comprehension. We cannot comprehend trillions. The only time we've even used trillions ever in our lives is talking about the national debt. Like, trillions is just an incomprehensible number. And even then, it's, it's, it's not, we cannot grasp. Without that national debt out there, we wouldn't even, there'd be no use almost whatsoever for trillions. Uh, if, if you wanted to, if you wanted to count to 30 trillion and you counted one number every second, so you could lay out all the cells of the entire human body and you took one, you counted one per second, it would take 900,000 years. And there's, what, 150 of us here. And God has designed each one of us so that our bodies work 30 trillion plus cells per person. And they work together. And they function together. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. And all of these work together to form the human body to function. All of them have different functions. They're different pieces. And yet, you could never take a piece of me, you couldn't chop off my finger 
and put it over there and say, oh, look, there's Sam over there. It, it, it's only a part of me as much as it's connected to me and as much as it's, yeah, as much as it's connected to me. So those many members are only functional, only worth anything as much as they are connected to the body. And none of us as believers are more or less a part of the body. Many members, yet one body. And he doesn't provide a rank order for us there. So I think another thing Paul wants us to understand here is that within the diversity, there's amazing unity. There's amazing unity of purpose. You rarely see a human body where one piece is, is not submissive to the head. And if it is, it's very clearly dysfunctional, right? If you see somebody who can't use their arm, you don't look at them and say, yeah, that looks like a healthy individual. It's, it's great dysfunction when there's not submission to the head there. And there's unity of, there's unity of function, there's unity of purpose. And we can't, I mean, you can't, no one part of our body can really accomplish anything for itself. It's, it'd be really hard to find one thing in our body that can operate on its own. Whether you want to talk about an individual cell that couldn't function very long on its own at all, or whether you want to talk about an organ, or um, any individual part of the body. And the body works together to, to produce whatever it is that the body is looking to do. Um, you take away, and we just do it so naturally we don't even think about it. It doesn't even amaze us when we walk up steps. But your body is using your ears to help with the balance. Your body's using your eyes, both of them, to produce depth perception. Uh, your body is sending messages continually up and down your, your spinal cord. Um, to coordinate movement with your legs. Uh, your body is balancing itself with the hands. Most people don't walk upstairs like this. You walk upstairs like this, right? You move your hands as you walk, and that helps you balance. So we don't even think about it, but the body is just continually, beautifully working together. And I think it's particularly wonderful that Paul had probably no idea how the body functioned. <laughs> and I think if we think about it, <clears throat> I don't think we really do either. There's incredible doctors that understand portions of how the body functions. The doctors that best understand how the body functions are usually specialists that understand how one part of the body functions. But there's no single way of explaining how the body works together. There's hundreds, there's thousands, there's probably millions of ways of explaining how the body functions and works together. 
And I believe that's true of the church. We don't see, we see aspects of it. We see kind of the surface level. We see the preaching. We see uh, a couple conversations that we have here and there. But we don't understand the intricacies of how my life, my sin, my engagement with my children, uh, my prayer life, my reading the word impacts the lives of everyone around us. So I think there's a, just so much depth here in what Paul is, is why Paul is drawing attention to the body. But then the body is also not most centrally about individuals as much as our American individualism likes to think of, of everything in life. It's most centrally about the body. Like I said, you, you, <laughs> if my finger was chopped off, you'd never look at my finger and say, oh, there's Sam. I don't know where the rest of him went, but there he is. It's my finger only really has any purpose or use in being a part of me. And that's how it is with, with us in the church. Our only, uh, the focus is being a part of the body, which Paul later says is, is connected to the head, Jesus Christ. So the identity is focused on being a member of the body. So again, understand the way that God designed the church. It isn't focused on one gift, one personality, or one person. Rather, it's God designed the church with many parts that work together. Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. The divisions here were, that he's addressing here were about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he turns and says, wait, the Holy Spirit is the only reason you're even, you even like each other. The Holy Spirit is the only reason you're even together, even have anything in common. Slaves, free, Jews, Greeks, you are bound together by the Holy Spirit. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Every believer... Every person who is in Christ, when they came to faith, were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit from God. If, I guess let's, you know, just to imagine this for a second... Would it be fascinating and, and interesting to be able to come to church one Sunday morning? I'd only want to do it once, but come to church one Sunday morning and all the Jews sat on the left side or the left side and all the Greeks sat on the right. Everybody over here, you're all Jews. Everybody over here, you're all Greeks. And it's really hard to understand the depth 
of, of division that that could cause. And it would just naturally be there. It wouldn't even have to be caused. It was just, it was already there. It wasn't manufactured. It was already there from hundreds and thousands of years of separation. And yet, all were made to drink of one spirit. All were baptized in one spirit into one body. And Paul doesn't write that the, and tell them, look, your problem is that you're, you just need to think differently about your culture. You just need to think differently about your context. Your culture just doesn't really work. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the right way. You got to shift this and that. Instead, he points back to, no, you are united. You are united in one spirit. Don't let yourself be divided. And our hope for unity, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have a Jew and Greek split in this church that I know of, uh, or a slave and free split, but, but we have lots of other things that, that threaten every week, every month, every year to bring in little, little schisms into our church. And our hope for unity is never that eventually we'll all have the same views on everything if we all show up to every one of Pastor Sam's sermons or we all finally just debate it out. We'll finally get there. We'll, we'll, all, uh, we'll all share the same eschatology or politics. Well, some of that might happen along the way. That's not our hope. And we can't wait for that to happen we can't wait for those things to happen to engage more deeply with the body. We can't wait. I can't wait until I agree with each of my friends before I can really dig in and seek to lay down my life like Christ did for his friends. It might feel a lot easier if we did, if we all believed the exact same things. But that's not the unity that we've even been called to. If the Spirit can unite a, a Greek and a Jew, a slave man and a free man, the Spirit can certainly unite us through any of our small divisions that can come up. Whether that's views on the president's performance or any other political discussion, medical choices, the authority of elders, homeschooling versus public school versus Christian school, age for baptizing a child, closed communion, open communion or closed communion, church membership, what small groups should look like, small church or big church, if a Jew and a Greek can be united through sharing the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can hinder our unity as we press, press on in the body. If we keep the main thing the main thing, if we focus on what we have in common, and that is our profession of Christ, our belief in Christ's life, death, and resurrection that's symbolized by our baptism and that actually happens through the Holy Spirit's baptism. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but, men, but of many. Here we have it again. 
The body is made up of many parts. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, this, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It seems that there, was, there were members in the church that were either feeling sorry for themselves or maybe were outright being, being minimized by others. Their gifts were being minimized and, and looked down on or ignored. Um, either way, they didn't understand the way that God had put the church together, the way that the church functions. They thought there were those with the extra special gifts that were worthy of more honor and attention. But Paul draws it out and goes back to the physical body. How could a human function if there were only one part? I, I mean, I love my eyes, but if you told me that I could have a third eye if I got rid of another part, I would, that'd be a catch-22. There's nothing, there's nothing I can think of like, yeah, I'll probably give up something for an extra eye. Like it's, it just doesn't make any sense. But Paul goes beyond that. He says that it's not, it's not just that way. It's sometimes we even get to the point where thinking about it's really just about one person or one personality or one, one gift that that's what we need to drive the church. And what he says is, I mean, it's hilarious. It, if the whole body were an eye, can you picture me standing up here behind the pulpit like, all right, go pick up the eye and set him on the pulpit so that he can, I don't know, I guess he can't speak. He's just an eye. Like, there's, it's a ridiculous thing to say. It's a ridiculous thing to say. And yet, it's really profound, even in our day, even though our divisions or our, our, our issues over our struggles with the gifts are not necessarily, I mean, they're, they're very different maybe. Um, this speaks to the same, the same challenges. We don't necessarily consciously exalt or rank order gifts, right? Like, that's not part of our Sunday school curriculum. Like, all right, these are the top five gifts, and then... These are the ones, kids, that you got to be aiming towards. Like, that's not really an, an issue that we have right now, right? Uh, but I think we have a similar trap that we've fallen into, and I think it's pr probably hundreds and hundreds of years old. Let me just ask you this. How many of us would look at ourselves or at our spouses or parents or children and say, Wow, they're really gifted for ministry. That's a phrase that I've heard lots of people say, but it's, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it outside of referring to a pastor. But if you look at what that phrase literally says, they are gifted for ministry, that should be applied to each and every person in the church. 
It's just a, a question of how. How am I gifted for ministry? What ministry am I gifted for? And yet, even just as I'm sitting out, I just, I've never, ever, ever heard anyone say that phrase except for referring to a pastor. I think, at least from, from my, <laughs> my vantage point, the church in America has largely forgotten how it was designed to function. We've almost become, we almost have become just an ear or just an eye. If there's just one person up front, and they're the one that's responsible for the ministry, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Now, I don't, I don't see that at Sovereign Grace. I, like, by God's grace, I don't think we're there at all. We're, we're not. But we also need to understand that that's the context that I, I think that we're living in, in America, is that a large, large, large amount of people go to church and sit in the pews on Sunday morning and there's their church is really made up of one minister and a hundred a hundred other people. And a lot of some I mean a lot of people even call them the minister, right? And that, that term in itself is I think supremely unhelpful. <laughs> Unless we're gonna call lots of other people ministers. Because when we, we talk about the minister that I mean what what is that saying? The minister. And that's just not how God designed the church. And sure, you know, there might be a few exceptional people who teach Sunday school uh, or take care of other tasks. And again, I, I, there's so much more than that here at, at Sovereign Grace. But again, the context of, of what we see around us and what we're living in and what a lot of us grew up in at least. Uh, it, it can seem like then, well, I'm not really, I don't really teach Sunday school. It's not like, man, kids are great, but I raised mine. Or kids are great, but I have my own right now. And, and so then, well, what else is there? It, it doesn't really seem like, a lot of times, the, the, those are the programs. We look at the couple programs that there are, and they got probably not something else, something that I can be doing. But what we know, and even what Sam just referenced before this, uh, right when the service started, is that a pastor or minister, while they do serve their flock, their job is not to minister in some ways. It's, it's not to minister to all the needs of the whole flock. And that would be ridiculous. There's no way that Five pastors could minister to all the needs of a hundred people. It's just impossible. It's just not the way God designed it. Let's, uh, let's jump over into uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 here quick. And I'm going to read 11 through 12 and 15 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here we have 
this group that's actually there to give tools to the saints for ministry. And what does it say this ministry is? I, I find this, this phrase super, super helpful and in thinking about the church. The, the work of ministry, it says, is building up the body of Christ. So, Sam, as, as one of our pastors, his, one of his main responsibilities, aside from protecting and teaching, is to equip. So to give us the tools to do the ministry. Because if you have 100 people, you don't need five ministers, you need 100 ministers. And then Ephesians 4, uh, so go to verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ builds up his body through his body. And that's, to me, that's mind-blowing. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's awesome that God looks at all of us broken down sinners with lots and lots of issues still in our lives that we're working through. And he says, you're the tools that I'm going to use to build up my church. And Paul specifically says, when each part is working properly, he doesn't say sinlessly or perfectly, and we know that can't be the meaning because that won't happen until Christ comes back. But the way I would think about it, the way I'm thinking about it this morning is that there'd be kind of two different categories here. One, that each is faithfully living out our lives, seeking to be obedient to God's plain commands. And then two, that, that each of us are seeking to understand the specific gift or gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit and seeking to plug in to the church with those specific gifts. The, and, and just for, I guess, a, a quick shot on the plain commands, um, one good place to start for all of us is um, if you just Google the fifth, 59 one another's. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. Because how do we show love for Christ? We love his people. And these one another's, you'll find some overlap with the gifts because the gifts don't mean that those are the only people that are supposed to show mercy, the only people that are supposed to teach. Um, we should be regularly teaching each other anyways and regularly showing mercy and regularly loving. Um, so the gifts don't restrict those things, but, but that's the gifts kind of provide an area of, of focus for us. So... Every Christian service is essential for the growth and maturity of the church. 
Let's go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now, I would be at risk of going way longer, except that I got plenty of warnings, threats, and side deals to keep this from being under, well, under really long, I guess. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working on wrapping this up. God put the body, the physical body together so intricately. 30 trillion cells for a human to function properly. If he took so much care to put together our human bodies, how much more care must he have taken to put together Christ's body on earth. You're not randomly assigned to a church, randomly thrown in and randomly gifted, that the Holy Spirit gifted as he willed. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. And I, he's talking about the physical body and the the transition to the spiritual body is, is so clear and so rich and beautiful. Each of you this morning, each of you who, who are part of this church, God has put you here and has gifted you. And has designed you to function within this body. And Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if he took that much focus to design the human body, why would he not spend way more energy if God has to spend energy? Why would, there not be, why would it, the church not be even more intricately and beautifully designed? The thing that Christ is putting on display, that God's putting on display for the nations. And if God can design the human eye in a way that works and that's strong enough to take significant amounts of abuse, and he can design it to function properly, he certainly can figure out how to make sovereign grace function in the most fruitful ways. So what does our church need? Our church doesn't need a superhero or celebrity pastor or a huge staff. To see our young church keep growing in maturity and fruitfulness and to see us minister to Aberdeen, to see us reach the lost, to see us serve those who are hurting, to see people come to Christ we need to each evaluate ourselves and our gifts to see how we can build up the church. God has arranged the members in the body. That part's already done. And thankfully, we're not like a sports team where there's no promise. That there's literally no promise that the Minnesota Vikings will ever be good. That's where hope comes in, but there's still no promise. And they have to wait year after year for the next coach, the next player, 
this young guy that's coming up, the next draft pick. And year after year, well, I won't get into that, but (laughs) that's not how the church is built. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for somebody new to move in and take on a new ministry or build up the children's ministry or whatever it is. Because God has designed his church. And he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And if he, again, if he can design the human body, he can certainly care for his body, the body of, of Christ, his son, on earth. We don't need new people to show up with the right gifts. We need each of us. Me, this whole sermon is, is for me. It's, it's directly at me. It's directly at each of us. We need each of us to show up and serve with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has willed to give us. And I'll just breeze through this last bit. Uh, The next few verses, there are 21... Well, yeah, 19 through 22. So we know it's ridiculous to say that, to look at an ear or an eye and say, oh yeah, this is a person. But Paul seems to say that it's equally ridiculous to act as though a body without any single part is truly functioning well. In verse 22, he says that, referring to the physical body, he says, the parts of the body that seem weaker, seem to be weaker, are indispensable. And we just read in Ephesians that each part needs to be working well. Just a really quick story. Hopefully. Uh, so I've been coaching track this spring, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm coaching at ACS, and it's just been cool to see physically how the body works together. Uh, and I you know, grew up in sports, um, always, enjoyed, always enjoyed understanding how the body works, uh, enjoyed, yeah, like, Basically, just seeing how the body functions, how the body's tied together and works together, and and uh, this spring, though, we've had a couple kids who have just been injured. Just really, over the last two years, they've pretty much been injured every time they try to sprint. And you look at this and you say, that "15 years old and 18 years old—that's not right. 55, and you haven't worked out for 15, 20 years, maybe." But there's no reason that a 14-year-old or 15-year-old should be injured every week. And every week there's a new thing. And so, so we, I'm digging into some different things, figuring out, trying to figure out what's going on. And come to find out that they have one of the major, most important muscles in sprinting, the glute, is not working. 
And once we fix that, there's, there's some methods to make it work. And here we understand, again, we don't understand how the body all is connected and works. But it's, the problem was not, so, so the, these two kids both had hamstring injuries. So the back of the leg, right? Right here. And if you look at the hamstring, the hamstring's strong. The hamstring's fine. The hamstring looks good. There's no real issues with the hamstring. But the body is connected, and you can't have any part of that body not functioning right without damage coming to the other parts. And so eventually we isolated it and figured out that the, the glute wasn't working. And so, as bizarre as it sounds, we pressed on four different spots on their heads. Their glute started working. And they've been running, sprinting, super healthy, no issues. And it's, it's so cool because any one part of the body, when it's not functioning right, you might not get injured right away. If I withdraw from church, if I start missing Sundays and not going to Wednesday nights, nobody might notice for a little while. Or somebody might notice, but it's like, eh, he's busy, whatever. It might be days, it might be weeks, it might be months. There will be consequences in the church because of that. Somebody else will have to pick up the slack. And what happens when the glute's not working is that the rest of your leg tries to make up for it. You end up with hip injuries or hamstring injuries. It starts to break the body down. And again, that picture is just so cool because it's, we don't have to understand why everything works together, but we need to believe the word of God that says that it does work together, that one part of the body cannot fail to operate and expect the rest of the body to function properly. To wrap this up, Christian, you are a part of the body, of Christ's body. And it's his body he uses and chose to carry out his work. Christian, you have an active role in the body of Christ. It might not be teaching Sunday school. It might not be... Uh, preaching. It might not be teaching Wednesday nights. It might not be running the soundboard. It might not be singing. But you have an active role in the body of Christ. If you are in Christ, the question isn't, do I have a role? Instead, you should ask yourself, am I living out the role that God designed for me in the life of the church? Are you engaging in the one another's in the church? Christian, you have been given a gift. This gift was decided by the Holy Spirit. This gift is for these people. Using this gift will bring incredible joy because it's obedience to Christ and Christ says that if you want to be, if you want joy, obey him. And there is no 
Christian without a gift, and there's no Christian that's so gifted that they can just pick up the slack for you. If I, if I might speak boldly, we're a young church. We're a, I don't know, a preteen church. The Lord has used this church in many, many ways. And certainly in Naomi's and my life, and in the lives of our family, the lives of our, our, our extended family, because of what the Lord has done in our lives. And we've definitely been equipped in many ways since we started coming to Sovereign Grace four years ago. And there are so many servants who are serving already in this church and serving so well and pressing in. But I believe as we each seek to understand how God designed the body, how God designed the church, as each person seeks to fulfill their roles more and more faithfully, and as we ask ourselves and others, how can I build up the body of Christ? Where are my gifts? Where is their fruitfulness in the work that I've been doing? And as we pray that the Lord would show us our gifts and where to serve, I believe that we'll look at the church and we'll see it grow in maturity and in number as, as people come to Christ. And we'll say, wow, God, your design is so good. I know conversations about gifting make people uncomfortable. I remember my dad laughing, reflecting on a time when Sunday morning, he's preparing to teach Sunday school, and my mom goes, Tim, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? I don't know. It wasn't the time to talk about it. He was uncomfortable. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know what they were, and he didn't want to say he didn't know, but he didn't know. He didn't want to talk about it. It can be uncomfortable. We feel guilty. We feel like our, our theology isn't good enough because we don't know what the spiritual gifts are, whatever it is. But don't let that make you shy away from them. They're clearly spoken about in Scripture. And I thought what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.12 is helpful and surprising. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And with my Reformed hat on, when he says, since, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, I expect him to say, don't be. That's scary stuff. Like, you know, when people talk about the Spirit showing up, that seems weird. But Paul says, since you are eager for the Spirit to be there, and if we, if we change the language, it sounds, then we're all excited about it. If, we're, if we, we want God to show up, we want God to work in our hearts, we want God to work in our church, that's what Paul is saying. But then he says, seek to excel in building up the church. So this last point, seek to excel in building up the church. And how do we do this? A few practical ways that you can start seeking to build up the church today. There are moments in our everyday lives to do this. And as we seek to do it, we'll see God working. That's what he says. Well, the Spirit will manifest himself. He'll show up and work. 
I want to challenge each of you not to simply think about how do I get involved, because it's easy to say, well, okay, what do I need to take on? What do I need to do? Get involved, get involved. That's a great thing that we all hear. But I think it's helpful to think about it in the ways that Paul describes there. I'm not just going to teach Sunday school. I'm not just going to serve communion. I am participating in building up the body of Christ. And that just adds so much more weightiness and joy and, and beauty to it. So just some examples of how, to, of how we can think about this. And I think I'm going to steal one right from Sam, first one from, uh, from his sermon in September. Ask yourself, and I, I set an alarm, and this has been really helpful for me. I, I set an alarm that goes off every morning. It says, ask the Lord how I can build up the body of Christ today. So I just challenge you to, to ask yourself and ask the Lord on your knees, Lord, how can I build out the body of Christ today? Why would he not answer that prayer? And praying prayers that you know he wants to answer is, is so joyful. <laughs> then be here. Meet with the church. Sundays, Wednesdays, Bible studies, work days, informal get-togethers. Just be there. When you think of whether or not to attend something, don't think, what will I get out of it? Or do I feel like going? Trust me, that's... That's what I think a lot. But ask yourself, can I build up the body by going? Another way, take time to reflect and discuss with your family and friends what holes do we see in the church's ministries? And that's an easy one to do. And part two of that is, what are you doing or going to do to help that, to make that problem better. Sing. Desiring God has lots of articles on singing and why we sing in church and why we should sing to each other. Uh, pray for the church leaders. Pray for us as members. Pray for attenders. Pray for friends. Uh, I love, this one is easy. It's, it's what we're already doing in a lot of ways. We, so many people stay after church and talk, and I, it's, it's beautiful. People actually like each other and want to be here. Um, I know for me, a lot of those conversations are, what what'd you do this weekend? Which is really disturbing when I think about that's what my mind and heart are going to, like two minutes after listening to Sam preach and after singing to the Lord. And that's the best I can do is, what did you do this weekend? We're sitting for, you know, 40 minutes or more under a sermon ordained by God for today, side by side with people that we love, and we, we pop up and, and I talk about lunch plans or whatever else. I just encourage you to take advantage of those times right after church. Yeah, what, what, did, you know, what, what was God convicting you of? What was God showing you? How was God comforting you? How was God encouraging you through the word this morning? Share your burdens. 
We act like life is fine and, and everybody knows it's not. We're stressed. We're low on money. We have issues with kids. And then we don't share these things when we don't reach out and say, oh, David, pray for me. We rob each other of opportunities to be served, of opportunities to serve, of opportunities to serve Christ. So share your burdens. You're not burdening anybody else. You're, you're giving them a beautiful opportunity to serve Christ. Older men, we need you. I need you. We need you as a church. We need you as younger men. We need your experience. We need to hear how you've navigated your careers, how you've steered clear of the love of money, how you've thought about leading your family, how you've discipled your children, how you've seen the Lord be faithful. We need you. Older women, we need you. We need you to help us understand how to navigate the bumpy path of raising children my wife and, and others need you to understand how you navigated being a homemaker or working outside of the home while still being a wife and still being a mother or homeschooling. The younger women need you to help them navigate how to be a mom and have a hundred things to do every day and still spend time reading the Word, still meditate on the Word. and still pray. They need a calm voice of wisdom, a voice that sees more clearly and is outside the fog of emotions and stress of being a mom. Younger men and younger women, we need you. We need you to help with work nights. We need you to help each other and older members when we move around the house, uh, stuff around the house, stuff in the yard. We need you to be seeking out relationships with older men and women because we often don't know the way and we don't realize that the path that we're stumbling on is a lot clearer and can be a lot smoother than we see it. All of you, we need to look at each other and at our children and see that we're all people who need discipleship. Not just by parents, but by others. By others' parents, by others' grandparents. I want Tessa and Isaac and Judah to have men and women in their lives who will pour into them outside of me, outside of their grandparents, who will spend time with them one-on-one. -on -one. You are our family. The way sovereign grace is growing is beautiful. And the way that God made the church and gave us everything we need is amazing. And because God is is so awesome and kind, we'll get to experience the joy of fulfilling the ministry that God is giving to each of us. I believe that the next two, three, four, five years, we're just going to keep looking and marveling and saying, wow, God, your design for the church is so good and so beautiful. just want to pray. Lord, thank you that you have designed the church in incredible, incredible ways. 
thank you that you did not leave it to happenstance or random choice, but you designed sovereign grace and you gifted each person, each believer here with specific gifts to serve. I just pray that you would bring about greater fruitfulness in our lives, greater fruitfulness as we seek to build up the church day after day, Lord. Please keep these things uh, on our minds. Keep your word on our minds. Spur us on uh, day after day, Lord, I pray, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.